When it comes to investing, retirement, taxes, healthcare, and estate planning, the decisions you make today can greatly affect the quality of life for you and your loved ones tomorrow. What you need is straightforward and unbiased information on the most important issues you'll face when planning for your retirement. Good news. You found the Retirement Playbook sponsored by APO Financial. So get ready for an hour of the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. It's time for the Retirement Playbook. And now, here are your hosts, John Crows, John Goodhue, and Jeff Shade. Thanks so much. Good morning and welcome to the Retirement Playbook, the show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. On today's show, we're going to be talking about the economic outlook for 2024. Are we seeing light at the end of the tunnel? Also, the various levels of risk involved with different investments. And finally, why the last five years before retirement are critical. My name's Jeff Shade, and I'm just here to ask the questions. But of course, the words of wisdom and solid advice come from John Crows and John Goodhue of APO Financial right here in Lorian. And I'll start with you, Coach Crows. Happy New Year. How's the New Year treating you so far? Uh, it's going great. Uh, nice early start here. But other than that, it was a great holiday season and looking forward to moving forward into 2024 and, and really expanding the services that APO Financial can uh, offer to the people of the Copper Country. Yeah, that's great. Well, we've got about 360 days left here in the, in the new year. So we've got plenty of time to help people out. And I'm going to give the phone number here in just a moment so people can take advantage of the opportunity to get an early start. Okay, John, good you. Thank you so so much for joining us. How's the new year treating you? Oh, it's, it's doing great. I've been up in Michigan for a while. I'm back in Denver for a while. I'm going back to Michigan for a while. We're doing a lot of stuff <laughs> up here. A lot of traveling here. Yeah. I think it's going to come up in the next for the next several months for me. Yeah, well, I'm glad you're there to uh, support the team in Lorium. And of course, uh, we wish everybody a happy new year here listening to us in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Well, I want to start off this show by talking about the economic outlook for 2024. The Federal Reserve, which uh, Chair Powell leads, seems likely to have reached the end of its rate hiking cycle. The U.S. economy appears poised for a gentle 2024 with forecasts of declining inflation, interest rate cuts, and only a slight uptick in unemployment. Now, I read an article this morning which basically said that it knew what was going to happen in 2024 when you opened it up. It said it really didn't know. Is that the correct answer when people ask you, what is up with 2024? We just don't know. Or is, you know, is that basically the most honest answer that you can give? Well, unless you've got a crystal ball, that's probably the most honest <laughs> answer you can give. I think that you can see, read one article and somebody says, yeah, you know, next year is going to be an uptick. And the next article saying, oh, my God, we're going into a depression. You know, uh, right. It gets all over the board. Just like just like normal. Most people don't know what's happening. I mean, I think there, there there's some positives going into 24. The Federal Reserve, you know, they raised rates a lot over the past 24 months. And it looks like they might maybe lower them again in the first part of the year. But the downside to that is the Fed, it, their target for inflation, they haven't reached yet. And so they haven't reached their target for inflation. I think that they might try to reduce rates a little bit the first part of the year. My concern is that the latter part of the year, might, if they don't have the inflation down to, their goal is 2%. Right. And it's not there yet. And if they don't have it by then, my guess is we'll probably see another rate increase. So it could be a combination of two. There's some rate decreases at the beginning of the year. Then we'll see what inflation does, and they possibly could go back up. 
I understand the mortgage rates now are at the lowest rate since around May or so. They topped out over 8%, but I understand they're down uh, in the low sixes right now. Is that right? Yeah, it depends on your credit, but I'm still seeing six and a half to seven and a half is generally out. So that's usually the rest of the range right now. I think pretty much everybody's factored in the, that the Fed is going to cut rates in the first part of the year, and that's probably what's happening there. So that's going to lower borrowing costs for a lot of folks. Uh, so that's something to consider. So, of course, we want things to increase or we want some growth to happen in 2024. What are some of the risks that could be thrown in there that would prevent that from happening, do you think? Well, I think this election cycle this this year is going to be a little crazy. Yeah. I think probably crazier than it's ever been. Anytime the, our markets in general uh, or in businesses in general, they don't like uncertainty, Right. And anytime that happens, it, it can hold things back. And you've got higher interest rates right now, which generally means that businesses are kind of holding off on, on expansion because it costs them too much to borrow money, which that begins to slow the economy down in lots of different ways. You generally don't like a potential change in control with the country at the highest level, the presidency, and then what can happen with Congress after that. We don't know what's going to happen. That, that uncertainty really makes people slow down and, and stop. And that can be a real problem for our overall economy. And I understand the presidential election cycle, as you said, because of the uncertainty really can affect the market. Let's talk about what happens if one candidate gets in versus another candidate. If Donald Trump becomes the candidate for the Republican Party, what do you think the market's going to do? Well, I think the, the market's going to just be volatile with all of this. And I don't, I, don't, I don't know how he doesn't become the candidate for the Republican Party unless courts, something happens major with the Supreme Court or something. But I think, I think you're going to have uh, a, a really nasty fight, no matter what, between the two parties uh, leading up to this election. And I think it's it's just going to continue. My my biggest problem with all of it is it, it continues to create a big schism between people, just right. between your friends, your neighbors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just because, you know, somebody's a Democrat versus somebody's a Republican now, people get into fights about that stuff. People won't talk to people. Yeah. I think that's the biggest problem we've got as the country is just we've created this huge divide just beyond based on politics. And our, that needs to go away. You know, I, I see a big disconnect in the whole political environment because no matter what side you're on, the, your number one concern when you, when you read about it is our economy. But yet in the political world, there's so much finger pointing. And if you don't believe in what I have to say, you're wrong. Um, and there's no, there's no in-between ground. And I also see with this political environment that even though economy is number one on everyone's minds, it's not number one in what's being discussed. We're talking with John Crows and John Goodhue of APO Financial here on our radio program. We're talking about the outlook for 2024. So would you say that this is a wait and see environment? I mean, at this point in time, because we really don't know what's going to happen, should we wait to see what's going to happen or should we maybe just err on the side of safety and and just go that way until we're sure what's going to happen completely? Well, I think you always err on the side of safety. I don't care if the markets are doing great, the economy's doing great. You don't know what's around the corner. So from my perspective, what we try to do for people from a financial perspective is whether you're a Democrat, Republican, independent, or purple person from Mars, it makes no difference with us. We want to keep people's finances safe. We want to keep people safe from a financial perspective. And how you do all, you get through all that is you you do real planning. You do true financial and retirement planning. And unfortunately, most people don't do that. 
And that's the only way that you're going to keep yourself safe, keep your money that you have saved up so far for your retirement, for your life. Just keep it as safe as you can. It's, it's still got to grow reasonably, but you don't have to risk everything like people do. Too many people risk everything. They put it all in one basket, like all in the stock market, and they let it ride. And I believe that that's one, it's not, there's no planning around that. And two, that you just don't need to do that. And you're not going to get where you want to go by doing that, in my opinion. Well, low risk means low reward usually, and low risk are things like money markets and CDs. You know, we were talking about the yields on those being over 5%. Are they still about that? And where do we see those going? And what will happen to those rates if the Fed does cut rates at the beginning of the year? Yeah, the rates, the CDs are still in that four and a half to five and a half range out there. If they cut rates, it'll affect those a little bit. There's no question about that. But the Fed's not going to go in and cut, you know, by 2%. Right. That's not what they do. They might cut a quarter of a percent. You know, that to, when they get wild, they do a half a percent, right? Yeah. So it's, it'll, it'll have some effect there. I don't know that it's going to have that much of an effect. Again, I'm, I'm more concerned that that we may have more increases next year, not cuts. My question about all of, all of the feds is, is adjusting that interest rate their only strategy to affect the economy or, or are there other things out there? Because when you hear about it, that's, that's really all you hear them as a strategy dealing with is raise or lower that interest rate and how much and how often should it happen? It's a great question because I think most people, we hear about the Federal Reserve, but most people don't understand it. It's a very complex entity, but I think the Fed really has one power and it's short-term interest rates. That's what they do. And their number one goal, their number one thing that they were created for was control inflation, keep inflation down into reasonable numbers. And when you think about it, that makes all the sense in the world because I think people just think, well, inflation, that means some things cost more. Well, it means it's a domino effect, right? If rates are high, if inflation's high, that means interest rates are probably high. That means businesses probably aren't borrowing money, which means businesses aren't usually expanding, which is affecting employment numbers and people aren't getting raises. They're not getting better jobs because there are no better jobs. There's no, there are no new jobs being created, which means people can't pay their bills when things with inflation because they're paying 20 to 30 percent more for their food and their you know everything else i mean look what's happened in the last 24 months look at your food costs my god i mean for a normal family oh yeah and then you know housing costs go up and and it just it just keeps on domino affecting everything in the economy and eventually it puts the economy into a tailspin and, and it will and slow the economy down and we go into recessions and that's their job and so right now they've done a pretty good job so far but their target is 2% and they're still in their target range. They're still double that. So I, that's what I think. They're, they haven't reached their target. It's been slower that they anticipated. And so I think that that's a, that's a concern for me that we're going to see some more rate increases next year. Well, we really hope that things go well for 2024. But as you've said before, John Goodhue, hope is not a plan. There's a lot more to a plan than just that. So let's talk about getting that plan and getting yourself off to the right start in 2024. John Crows, can you tell me a little bit more about how people can get that retirement plan at no cost and no obligation? 
Absolutely. And I think the number one thing to be aware of is don't don't sit there and make your decisions based off of what you see on TV and the news or what you're reading. You know, I think you need to come in with people that are ready to do some outright serious planning for you. And, and that's what we're here for at APO Financial in Lorium. We're at 95 Third Street. You can come in and stop in and visit, but would love you to call Laura, set up an appointment to come in. You can get a hold of Laura at 906-523-9030. And once again, that number, 906-523-9030. There's no cost. There is no obligation for this. Why wouldn't you want to call that number and get in and sit down with uh, John Crows, John Goodhue there at APO Financial. Get yourself off to a good start here in 2024. Get that retirement plan or get that financial plan that will help you endure almost anything. There are going to be some bumps in the road right here. Wouldn't you like to have a comprehensive plan that would allow you to sort of smoothly ride over those bumps to some extent? Well, you can get that plan by calling 906-523-9030. No cost, no obligation. You can also find out more about the firm and request your plan online at apofinancial.com. That's apofinancial.com. Want more strategies to support the quality of life you want for 30 plus years? Don't go away. There's more Retirement Playbook from APO Financial in just a moment. You can't start a journey you've never taken without a plan. And you can't start your retirement journey without a comprehensive plan to get there safely. To request your no-cost, no-obligation Retirement Playbook review, call 906-523-9030 or request it online at apofinancial.com. Now back to more of the Retirement Playbook with John Crows, John Goodhue, and Jeff Shea. Happy New Year. Thank you so much for joining us here for the Retirement Playbook on AM 920 WMPL. We're here for you every week for your fiscal fitness, your financial education. Of course, John Crows and John Goodhue here dishing out the advice. My name is Jeff Shade, and I am just here to ask the questions for you. In this segment, we're going to be talking about the various levels of risk involved with different investments. Now, John, there's something in the financial space. It's called the rule of 100, and it suggests that your age should be the percentage of assets that you hold in bonds in your stock bond portfolio. If you're 60 and you put 60% of your assets in bonds in your portfolio and so on, is investment risk management really this simple? No. <laughs> I suspected you'd say that. No. And with that 60-40 strategy, that's what most financial firms use as their base. It's called the balance allocation model. The theory is, and it's just a theory, the theory is, is that when stocks go up, bonds go down and vice versa. And the theory is that bonds are safer than stocks. Mm -hmm. The reality is in bad markets, when we, when we have a collapse in a market, we've had 23 of them since 1900, what happens is stocks go down and bonds go down in value significantly. And so bonds are not what people think they are. They're not, a, they're not necessarily a safety net. And the big problem with the bond part of people's portfolios right now is interest rates. Interest rates run in basically 30-year-plus cycles. And right now, we are on the wrong side of a long-time increasing interest rate cycle, which means the value of bonds are going to continue to go down. And it's, it's people don't understand bonds, Jeff. And it, it's the, and I think my little example helps people. Yeah. If you go and buy a bond right now, let's say it's a 20 year bond or a 15 year bond, and then you do that and you're in retirement, for example. And today, let's say you get 4%. They're paying you 4%. And so a bond, the, the, what a bond does is it pays you that 4%, let's say for 20 years. 
4% a year, and in 20 years, you get your money back. So you haven't lost, technically, any money. And you've gotten a rate of return that you can see, you can spend. The problem is, as your interest rates rise, let's say four or five years from when you bought that 4% bond, new bonds, exactly the same bond, but new bonds are paying 6%. Mm-hmm. Well, when you go to sell some of those bonds to pay for that vacation to Hawaii uh, or the uh, big trips to you know England or wherever, what you're going to find out is you're not going to get what you paid for that bond because your bond's only paying 4% and new people can buy that same bond paying 6%. Right. You're going to have to take a discount. Let's just say that's a loss in what you paid for it. That is the problem right now with with bonds in general is we're on the wrong end of a long-term rising rate interest rate cycle. Okay, and you use the example of the teeter-totter. That's another good way to explain bond yields in relation to interest rates. Yeah, no, the bonds and interest rates are like a teeter-totter. Is like when rates go up, bonds go down. And vice versa, like in 1982 was the top of the last big interest rate cycle. Remember back in in 82 when the interest rates were like 20-something percent? Oh, yeah. Um, Treasury bonds, 10-year treasury bonds were paying 16% in 1982. And then interest rates started falling, and they fell for over 30 years. So people who bought a 16% bond in 1982, five years later, they go to sell it. Well, new bonds were paying 10%. Mm-hmm. Well, they got they get a premium for that 16% bond. So that's the teeter-totter effect that's positive for the bonds because interest rates are falling. So bond prices, bond values were rising. Now we're on the other side of that teeter-totter rates are rising and so on the other end are the bond values and they're falling they've been falling for nine years they're going to continue to fall for the foreseeable future so that whole 60 40 mix that most firms put people in in our opinion is a big mistake you know and i think uh just looking at my family when grandpa crows passed away he had a he had a bunch of bonds stocked away and so it, you know, there was a lot of inheritance through those bonds. And so I think, but part of that was he he had a lot of money with that because he was in one of those good cycles for bonds. And for the family and aunts and uncles and my, my dad, you know, it was kind of found money a, a little bit, you know. And so, so they had a good feeling about bonds. And like John says right now, with, with interest rates so high, you know, you get be careful about stepping into there. And I think there is a lot of a lot of misconception about bonds because people don't understand that inverse relationship between the interest rates and the value of bonds. We're talking with John Crows and John Goodhue of APO Financial, and uh, we're talking about the various levels of risks involved with different investments. We've been talking about bonds and their relationship to interest rates. So let's talk about our topic here. I think the problem is that there's no such thing as a perfect investment, and the solution is understanding the risk versus safety continuum. So let's go down the list here. The first one I want to talk about is cash and CDs. Now, they do have their pros and cons. Yeah, cash and CDs, very safe. I don't know that there's any way that you can lose there Um, but typically with with uh, cds and cash you're not getting a whole lot of bang for the buck in terms of interest but i think right now we're in a position where banks are there's a lot of nice rates out there for buying cds in fact i know my mom just in within the last two weeks went to one of the local 
Copper Country banks here and got a seven month CD at 5.25%, which is a pretty darn good rate for a yeah. CD. Well, there are basically five things that these investments can do for you. Safety, growth, tax minimization, liquidity, and finally cash flow. And with cash and CDs, as you said, they're relatively safe, but they don't grow that much. Certainly, there's not really anything involved with tax minimization there. They are relatively uh, liquid and, you know, they really don't provide much of a cash flow. But if you're safety conscious and you want to sort of ride things out, you don't want to lose anything, cash and CDs just very well might be the answer. Next one on the list is going to be fixed annuities. Can you comment on that? Sure. So yeah, I, I kind of lump fixed annuities with fixed indexed annuities. They're similar. They're, they're all in the same family. Uh, people get really confused about annuities because there's some different types. Um, but we, we particularly like fixed annuities for kind of short-term parking of money, two to three years. Uh, fix, a fixed annuity works kind of like a CD does. Uh, it's going to pay a guaranteed rate of interest for however many years that you commit to it. They generally pay more than CDs do. So right now they're paying higher rates than CDs. And we like to use it to park money for short periods of time. A good example of that, I might have somebody that's going into retirement. They decide to sell their house. They're not quite ready to buy another house. Maybe they're going to travel for a couple of years. But they want to make sure that that money is safe so when they come back, to buy a house, it's there, So, the, but they want a, some kind of rate of return. So mm-hmm. we, we'll use a fixed annuity to do that. It, it's very, very safe. There's no up and down with it. And there's no there are no fees and expenses. So I, I, I like to use fixed annuities for that. Okay, so that's the fixed annuity, as you said, a little better than a CD in terms of the uh, return that you're going to get on that. Then, as you mentioned, there's a fixed indexed annuity. What does the index part of that mean? So it means that the fixed index annuities, I always say that it's what something does. It shouldn't be what, you shouldn't think about what people call it. But a fixed index annuity, what it does is, number one thing about them is you can't lose money. We love that part. Don't like losing money. Number two, the index says that you can get gains based off of certain stock market indexes. And there's all kinds of them. Of course, they're the normal ones, the Dow, the NASDAQ, the S&P 500. There's a number of other ones. But the goal there is, is if you're, let's say you're tracking the S&P 500 for gains purposes, and let's say the S&P this year goes up 10%. Now you're not going to get 10% in that fixed index annuity, but with a good growth annuity, you're going to get a big chunk of that 10%. You might get seven or 8% of that. And then next year, when the S&P goes down, because you're still tracking it for gains purposes, you don't lose any of your money and you don't lose any of the gains that you made the last year. So they all get locked into your principal. I like that. I like a reasonable growth, no risk uh, related to it. And you can even do it with no fees, no expenses. Hmm. That's not a bad investment option. And so we use fixed index annuities a lot in, in our practice. Okay, so the fixed index annuity allows you to track an index. As you said, could be S&P 500. Again, to recap, if it's up 10%, you don't get the whole thing, but you'll get a percentage of that, maybe 7%. But the part I like about that, too, is if the index goes down, you don't lose any money. It's what we call a floor of zero, and those are fixed index annuities. So the next one on the list, uh, Coach Crows, is universal life. Yeah, and you know, and I think uh, people tend to lump life insurance all into one big basket, but uh, you know, I think we have to realize that there's different types of life insurance. You have your term life insurance, your whole life insurance. Universal life insurance has the typical death benefit along with it, but it also accumulates a cash value that uh, that you can 
borrow from tax-free. When people understand like tax planning, the, one, some of the best tax planning tools are in the insurance world, the life insurance world. In universal life, and we, we use index universal life in particular. It does just what John says. It, 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 you have the death benefit, that's true, and which is great. That's the safety net. But the money is growing in, in the policy, technically tax deferred, so you're not paying taxes as it's growing, kind of like an IRA. But you, what you get to do, you get to borrow from the insurance company using the cash value as collateral. Kind of like if, when you go to a bank to get a mortgage on a house, uh, you use your house as collateral. Your house keeps on growing in, in value. Same thing, the cash value and that side, that life insurance policy keeps on growing in value. And you can take loans from that policy, which are all tax-free because uh, a loan is not taxable. Mm -hmm. And so when you really start understanding it, they, be, they can be really, really great tax tools and, and, and asset growth tools for people. We're talking with John Goodhue and John Crows of APO Financial, and we're talking about the various levels of risk involved with different investments. If you have questions about our topic, you'd like to get in and sit down with John Crows or John Goodhue at APO Financial or both there, talk about your individual situation and what investments may be right for you, depending upon what your goals are. We're offering a no-cost, no-obligation, and no-judgment financial review. To get yours, all you've got to do is call 906-523-9030. 906-523-9030. When you call... You'll get Laura on the other end of the line who will gather some basic information and set you up with this conversation with John or John there at uh, APO Financial. And if you're worrying about that you've got to wait months to get in, don't worry about that because you can get in in just a week or so, if not sooner. Now, remember, it's not going to cost you a dime, but it could be the most important call that you'll make all year. 906-523-9030. You can also request your complimentary review. Chance for you to ask your questions online at APOfinancial.com. That is APOfinancial.com. If you're just joining us, this is APO Financial's Retirement Playbook. If you missed any part of the show today, don't worry. We're also a podcast. Just go to wherever you get your podcasts and search for the Retirement Playbook with APO Financial. You'll get this show and all of our past shows so that you can stay on top of your wealth and your journey towards a successful retirement. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more of our show right here on AM 920 and FM 107.3 WMPL. Talk that bridges the gap. Ready to score a touchdown with your retirement plan? Touchdown! Good. You're listening to the Retirement Playbook. And now, back to the show with your coaches, John Crows, John Goodhue, and Jeff Shea. Thank you so much for making us a part of your weekend here. You're listening to the Retirement Playbook with John Crows and John Goodhue. My name is Jeff Shade, and we're glad you could join us this week. We've had a great conversation here about the various levels of risk involved with different investments. We've discussed cash and CDs, fixed annuities, fixed index annuities, and universal life. Let's go on now and talk about bond funds. And in just a moment, we'll talk about bonds. But what about bond funds? How do they stack up on the risk-reward continuum here? Well, they're less risky than stocks in general, but they're also, I mean, it's, it's a fund. It's like, it's a mutual fund and right. it's a, of different types of, of bonds, but it kind of goes back to our earlier discussion that I would stay away from, from bonds and bond funds uh, because we're on the wrong side of the interest rate, this interest rate cycle we're in. There, it's going to be really hard for them to make money and to increase in value. That About the only way you can do it, there are certain bond funds that actually actively trade bonds. 
that's a different type of animal because it's more of an active investment strategy. And so they're actually short term, they're, they're trading bonds on, on up cycles and down cycles, trying to make money in the middle. There aren't that many of those because most of them are, most of them are, are buy and hold funds. So I, I just would say at least until rates, if rates were to go back the other direction, that might be a, a decent investment, but I, I wouldn't use those right now. So do the same properties apply to individual bonds as bond funds? They do. I mean, with a bond fund, you, you don't have a, the difference is with a bond fund, you don't have an end date term. Like mm-hmm. with a regular bond, it might be a 10-year bond, a five-year bond, a 20-year bond. You've got a term, you're going to know you're going to get your money back. With a bond fund, because they're, they're traded just like a stock in a mutual fund, that's, what, that's basically what they are. You can buy them, you can sell them. You don't have to wait till the end of the term to get your money back. So that's basically the difference between the two. Um, it's just from an individual bond versus a fund. Okay, the next one here is going to be buffered exchange-traded funds. How do you feel about those in terms of risk-reward? Well, you know, I, I like buffered uh, exchange-traded funds. So most people don't know what exchange-traded funds are. That's number one. And very few people know what the word buffered means. So I'd, I'd like to explain that. Yeah, please do. An exchange-traded fund is a basket of let's say stocks mm-hmm. uh, and it might, you might have 20 or 30 stocks in the same basket but nobody's managing those it's just a static amount of investment in those particular 20 or 30 stocks so they were created so that you could trade them interday during the day because you can't do that with a mutual fund mutual funds are traded at the values at the end of each day so that's all an exchange traded fund is they're very low expense. That's why a lot of people like them. The problem with mo- that I see what people do, they'll buy an exchange-traded fund. Let's say it's a healthcare ex- exchange-traded fund, and they just hold it in their portfolio for a long, long time. Well, nobody's managing that. So nobody's looking after the individual holdings inside that exchange-traded fund. So that's a mistake, in my opinion. But that's what happens. Now, Buffered, what buffer is, buffer is just another term for a is risk mitigation tool. Mm-hmm. And so a buffered ETF is this, is it's going to protect some on the downside. So what they'll do is they'll have the ETF, let's say it's got 20 or 30 stocks in it. If they're going to protect it from the downside, they'll actually buy options that will make money if that ETF starts losing money. They basically are betting kind of against the, the what they're trying to do to grow the ETF. Mm-hmm. But it does it does limit the downside risk. So it, now on the upside, it won't do it. A, a buffered ETF won't do as well as any a regular ETF in a normal market uh, because it, a regular ETF is just going to ride the market. A buffered ETF has to take some of the money and buy those options for the protection on the downside. So it's not going to have as much upside potential, but it's going to limit the risk on the downside. So where do buffered ETFs stand on the risk scale? They're better than just traditional buy and hold vehicles uh, mm-hmm. because they've got a they've got a what I call a, a, a loss governor on them. They're going to really limit losses the worst they get. So I, I like if you, if you if you're going to try to stay in the market, for example, and always be positioned for upside potential, a buffered ETF is not a bad tool. 
because you're, you're, you are going to limit, you limit your losses to a certain extent, and, but you, and you will always be positioned you to take, you know, take the market when it does run up. It's a lot different than because because we we do we'll use those. We also will use tools that act in, in funds that actually will go to cash during bad times, which is a good strategy. Also, the thing there is if you're in cash and the market happens to take an up a quick upturn, you may miss some of that upturn. And so a buffered ETF is going to be always positioned so those quick upturns you're going to get it, take advantage of, but you you are going to limit your downside risk. So. If you move to cash, which we will do sometimes, you're totally limiting your downside risk. You're stopping your downside risk. A buffered ETF will still, it'll, it'll limit your downside risk, but you'll still take some loss in there. So they're, they're just two di totally different ways to invest. And we like to kind of blend those strategies when we're protecting people's assets. Uh, it's, when that's our focus is, is we try to protect people's assets so that in these bad market times that people aren't losing a bunch of money. People don't realize, Jeff, that our stock markets since not since 1900, we've had 23 market collapses since 1900. 23 of them. And they've averaged a 37.5% loss 23 times. And so you've got to get focused. I think, you know, the, the nine years before, you know, before 2022, those nine years were great. I think people got lulled into thinking the markets were always going to do, be doing that. They just historically don't do that. And about every six to seven and a half years, you have a big downturn. You need to protect against that, especially if you're in your when you're in retirement and you're pulling money out of those retirement accounts for the first time in your life. Because if you don't protect against that, this is what's going to happen. Let's say that all your money is in the stock market. And then let's say you retire and you need to pull money out of your retirement accounts to pay your bills and to do the things you want to do, all the trips and fun things. Well, if you hit a bad market cycle and it goes down, let's say you lose 30, 40%, it's going to take the markets historically six to seven and a half years to come back to even. That's That's been the case 23 times. And so what's going to happen that whole time you're pulling money out for six to seven and a half years you will never get back to even because you had to use your money. And then it's going to happen again in the next six to seven and a half years. And then you're going to pull the money out for that whole period of time. And about the second or third time that happens in, in your retirement years, you're going to figure out that you're in big trouble. And people don't, they don't plan for that. You, you have to plan for those types of things because really from an historical perspective, they're inevitable. So I, that's part of how we, we help people. We help people planning get through those bad market cycles. We're talking about the various levels of risk involved with different investments with John Crows and John Goodhue of APO Financial right here in Lorium. And John, I think you pretty much answered the question there about the stock market. Certainly, I think that is one of the more risky things that we have talked about here. But there is opportunity for growth in the stock market if you pick the right stocks. But there's the rub, John, is how do you pick the right stocks for growth and have some relative safety? Well, that is the rub. And the other thing is that people really, they get lulled into like, okay, you know, every stock's a Google, every stock's going to be a, Amazon. you know, an Amazon. Yeah, right. Um, out of the S&P 500, there's only, there's only 10 of those. So the rest of them aren't those things. And so what ends up happening with individual stocks, you have concentrated risk. So you put money in that, whatever you put in there, you're betting on a one pony in the race. That's dangerous. Because when we have these down markets, these like these 23 times we've had market collapses, 
Individual stocks will always take a bigger hit. They will lose more money than if you're invested, for example, in the whole S&P 500 index or the whole Dow index, where you're spreading your risk among a number of investments within the same vehicle. Those will not take as bad of a hit. Now, they'll still lose money in bad markets, but individual stocks can, a lot of individual stocks will take real massive hits in bad markets. So let's wrap it up here by talking about investment real estate. And I think people think that, well, with all real estate, you're going to make a ton of money. Not necessarily true. As a matter of fact, quite the opposite is true more times than not. But I want to talk about a specific area of real estate, and that is investment real estate. And for people who are active landlords, I mean, people here in the Upper Peninsula who own uh, maybe apartment houses, or maybe they own individual houses that they rent out, or maybe they own other sorts of investments, and maybe they're getting a little too old to manage these investments. They don't want to be bothered with cash calls and toilets and tenants and trash and so forth. There is an alternative and a way that these people, it's sort of a landlord exit strategy. John, can you tell me more about that? Yes, I sure can. I love that. that I love that phrase, that landlord exit strategy. So, yeah, I have a lot of clients when they retire, they kind of get tired of that. But their big problem is this. Somebody might come along and offer them a really good price for that rental property. But when they start to sit down and talk to their tax person, they figure out Ooh. they got a bunch of taxes <laughs> they're going to have to pay. Yeah. And so they really don't like that. And so that might stop them from actually doing something that could be really good for them. So they can do what's called a 1031 exchange. 1031 is just an IRS code section. So a 1031 exchange would allow them, if they could find another property to invest in, they could sell the first property. They have to use an intermediary because they can't touch the money. Because if you touch the money, the IRS says it's all taxable. So you yep. gotta be careful with a 1031 exchange, just do it the right way. But you've gotta find another property. And you have time periods, you gotta identify it within 45 days of the, when you close on the first property. You gotta close it within 180 days. And so there's a lot of hurdles that you've gotta do. But if you were to do that, the IRS will allow you to take all the money from the first sale and roll it into the second sale. And so you're not, you're not paying the taxes, you're deferring them to some point in the future. And then if you never sell the property, the, what real estate people like is let's say that you do that and you hold the property, you're getting rents and you're getting appreciation in the real estate. When you die, your children get a stepped up in basis. That just mm -hmm. means they don't pay the tax. They could sell the property then and not pay the capital gains tax. And so that's people really like doing that. The problem is finding a good replacement property to do a 1031 exchange. So what we can do is we, we have an institutional investment fund and they're called Delaware Statutory Trusts. And what they allow you to do is that they are 1031 exchanged approved by the IRS. So you can sell the property, your investment property. You have an intermediary. That money moves to a Delaware Statutory Trust, which is a, is a professionally managed institutional investment. So large properties, uh, usually a lot, number of them within the same vehicle. And so you have a professional manager, you're getting income, usually more income than you're getting from your rental properties. The next month after you close it, you get passed through depreciation just like you did on your rental property. And when you die, you're going to get a step, your kids are going to get a stepped up in basis. You're going to get appreciation just like you did on your rental property, but you're not a landlord anymore. There's mm -hmm. no more of the toilets and trash and tenants right. going on. And so you're a real estate investor and you don't pay the taxes. And so, because it's a 1031 exchange, people, I have a lot of clients that really like that vehicle. Uh, and it's a great tool. And unfortunately, 
most people, even really savvy real estate investors, have no idea that these tools exist, that right. these institutional tools exist. So I'm always surprised when I when I introduce it to somebody that that I know is a sophisticated real estate investor. They don't know you can do this. Yeah. So it's it, and it's really a helpful tool. Really a helpful tool. Well, we're going to be talking more about these in a future show, the Delaware Statutory Trust. And keep that in mind. If you're an active landlord right now, you have investment property. It's highly appreciated investment property. And you're afraid if you sell it that you're going to be slammed with a big tax bill. There is an alternative to that. It's the 1031 exchange and then into a Delaware Statutory Trust, which will allow you to take those proceeds and invest them into other types of properties. And the 1031 exchange is a loose one, too. Let's say that you've got rental houses here in the Upper Peninsula, or let's that you've got just some open land that's investment property. You can exchange that for things like apartment buildings in Sunbelt states that are growing, or you can exchange them for things like storage warehouses. All sorts of things apply for that. And as John said, you know, you're going to get rents from those things and you don't have to do anything for it because they are all professionally managed. And the cherry on top of the cake is that you're kicking that tax can down the road. Not enough time to really talk about all the details here, John, in this program, but it's called the Delaware statutory trust and not a lot of advisors really know about this but it has been tried and true i know other advisors across the country have done it very very successfully so stay tuned to this program if you're listening to the program right now and you're thinking to yourself well here i am it is the beginning of january boy wouldn't i like to have 2024 off to a great start well you can do that it's very simple to do all you've got to do is request your no cost no obligation retirement review with john there at apo financial how do you do that well you call this number right now 906-523-9030 and set up your appointment for your no cost no obligation friendly conversation with the folks there at apo financial right here in lorium as i said it's not going to cost you a dime but it could be the most important call that you will make all year so what are you waiting for call it this weekend 906-523-9030 and i believe that laura will pick up the phone this coming monday she'll get back to you and set up an appointment for you to get in and have your conversation again that number 906-523-9030 you can also request it online at apofinancial.com. That's apofinancial.com. Want more straight talk and honest answers about your wealth management and retirement journey? Stay with us. There's more Retirement Playbook from APO Financial here on AM 920 and FM 107.3 WMPL. Talk that bridges the gap. We're back with more strategies for a retirement in which you not only survive, but thrive. This is the Retirement Playbook from APO Financial. Once again, here's John Crows, John Goodhue, and Jeff Shade. We're so glad you decided to make us a part of your weekend, the first weekend of 2024. Happy New Year, everybody. You're listening to the Retirement Playbook with John Crows and John Goodhue. We're here for you every week here on WMPL for your fiscal fitness and your financial education. We've had a great show so far. If you've missed any part of it, once again, remember, we're also a podcast. Just go to wherever you get your podcast, search for the Retirement Playbook with John Crows and John Goodhue of APO Financial. You'll find this show and all of our past shows so you can stay on top of your journey towards a successful retirement. In this part of the program, gentlemen, I want to talk about why the five years leading up to retirement are critical, why they call that the retirement red zone. Coach Crows, can you tell me a little bit more about the retirement red zone, why they call this a red zone? Well, I'd like to start off with just uh, talking about the red zone in football. Probably one of the biggest lessons I learned as a coach offensively when we started off, it was you only have so much time to get ready in, in high school football. So we get our offense ready without a lot of 
special situations and you'd get out to a game and your offense would be ripping up and down the field and and then all of a sudden you get into that red zone which is the the last 20 yards before you yeah. can score a touchdown and all of a sudden your your drives would fall apart and it stumble you know and, and the, you start realizing that all of a sudden the defense has a little bit of an advantage because you know all of a sudden that back of the end zone becomes like a 12th defender for right. them and and so to overcome that, you know, and it, it took a couple of tough losses and, you know, you take teams that probably shouldn't be competing with and now you're competing with them and, and all of a sudden you, you fall apart in that red zone, you know, and for us to move forward and, and become the better team, we had to come up with a strategy and, and start working on it. And we had not only did we have a strategy for it, but we had to work on that particular situation and we had to have a, have a plan. And w- once we started executing our plan and making sure that everyone on the team understood what that plan was all of a sudden we didn't have those problems against big teams and big games anymore and 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 we started winning those games because of that plan and i think that's that's what the analogy is 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 your last five years prior to retirement is kind of like that red zone because you you need to have a plan so you don't stall out or, or fumble or or lose money that you're not going to recover by the time you retire. And making mistakes during that uh, final 20 yards there can really, really cost you the game. So as you said, that is the importance of the retirement red zone is to have this plan so that you can get through those last 20 yards or those last five years before retirement. And then I want to talk about the five years after retirement. So John, what is it about the last five years financially that can have this effect on your portfolio or on your retirement? Well, what it's called is it's an, it's another risk of retirement and it's called sequence of return risk and basically think of it this way if you've saved money up for your retirement when you were working and let's say you had a 401k or an IRA some kind of retirement account when you were working and the stock market went up and you had it all in the stock market you were happy because it went up and you had more money in that account, but it really didn't affect your current lifestyle because you weren't pulling any of that money out, right? Because it's all taxable and people aren't touching their retirement monies. But then when bad things happened and the market went down, you lost money, you didn't like it, but thankfully it wasn't affecting your, your lifestyle at the time because you were working. You had the money to pay your bills, maybe save a little bit, take your trips. However, when you retire, that doesn't happen anymore. Life changes. You're having to pull money out. So just like we were talking about earlier, you start pulling money out and you you hit a bad sequence of returns. So let's say the five years before and the five years after, it's actually about an eight to 10 year time frame. You hit some bad markets. Let's say we had a really bad market and you lose 30, 40, 50% and you're retired and you're pulling money out, you're gonna find it's gonna take the markets about six to seven and a half years to go back to even. You're never gonna get back to even because you're using your money and it becomes a problem. Just like John's analogy with his football and his football teams, it's a perfect analogy because you're it's you fumbling the ball there in that 20 yard lines before you get in the end zone. It's bad things happening. You're you're taking a loss. Uh, and that's exactly what happens to people. And you can plan through that. You can plan for those events because because those events are going to happen in our economy and our markets over the rest of your retirement years. But you've got to have a plan for it because if you don't, you're going to find yourself about the second or third time 
that that happens in your retirement, which is probably going to happen for most people when they retire four or five more times in their life, that that being the market's collapsing and losing on average 37.5%. Somewhere between the second and third one of those, people realize this. They realize, oh my God, I'm not going to make it. Mm -hmm. They'll say, I've got to do something. So they'll start changing their lifestyle in retirement. They might go back to work part-time. They might do lots of things. That's a horrible, awful thing to do when you're retired or have to do when you're retired. Now, if you want to work, that's great. But to have to do something to maybe downsize, you might have to sell your house and downsize. Yeah, about halfway through my career, I remember it was the 2008 crash and just some teachers that were right on the verge of retiring, fired up to retire, and the 2008 crash just killed some of their individual investments they had outside their pension plan for school. And uh, just just to see the looks on their face as they realized that how much money they lost and what did they have to do to replace that. And, and I think every one of them ended up having to stick around and teach a few more years and Actually, I know a couple of them were more than a few years. It was a lot of years that they ended up sticking around teaching beyond what they wanted to and what their plan was. That was 15 years ago, and I still think about those guys today and how tough that was because as I had just retired in the last year, that would be a tough take. So going back to work is an option, maybe not the best option, but it is an option for you. Let's say that someone wants to retire. Let's say that they're 60 years of age, John, and they want to retire in 2029. That's five years away from retirement. Is there any sort of a checklist that they should go down that you can think of five years out from retirement that they can go down this checklist and sort of adjust things to make sure that they're in pretty good shape by the time retirement happens, that they really don't make mistakes that they can't recover from? There is, and actually that's, I would say that it's what we base our entire retirement planning model on. We have five areas. So this is what I did and this is how I created it because I did create this. I, I used to practice law and I used to do a lot of merger and acquisition work. I've bought and sold several thousand businesses for clients over the years. And what I created for them was a risk identification model that identified the risks of the target companies that they were going to acquire. And then also, how do we eliminate or reduce those risks? So I did that years and years ago. So when I started this firm about 15 years ago, I looked at retirement planning and I said, you know, retirement planning is really all about risk identification and then figuring out how do you mitigate those risks or, or eliminate those risks. So then I went to all the major research institutions in the U.S. that have been doing retirement research for about 60 years. I asked that their system, what are the identified risks in retirement and what are some mitigation and elimination tools? Got a lot of data back. When I parsed it out, it came into five areas. And it's, it's all you can do. And it's the areas that everybody should address. Number one, you need to protect your assets. Like in your example, Jeff, somebody 60 years old, they should go back and look and ask themselves, okay, what happened to me in the last two or three major market downturns? What happened in 2000, 2001, 2002? How much money did I lose? What happened in you know, 07, 08, 09? How much money did I lose? Then you need to start asking yourself, what am I doing different today than I was doing back then? Because I'm in the danger zone. And I can't afford to lose a big chunk of money. And like John said, teachers who were getting ready to retire back during that during the 07-08 crisis, they had to work longer. They didn't want to. 
So that's number one. You need to do some things different. Number two, you need an income plan. Most people don't have an income plan. An income plan is the roadmap for your retirement. It's going to show you where are your weak points, where are your gray areas. Do you have any risk of running out of, uh, out of money? Mm -hmm. Do you have any risk of, of getting low on money? Have you covered all your bases? Have you taken inflation and taxes, health care, long-term care, all of that? Have you done that? Most people don't even have a clue of what an income plan is. We build income plans for everybody that comes and sees us. We don't charge for that because I think everybody needs one. So number three, you better be doing health care planning. Medicare, that's most people. Make the right Medicare decisions. We help people do that because you can mess up there. And also, you should look at your long-term care risks. This is health care. Long-term care risk is real. When I see people's retirements blow up, it's usually because of an unplanned for medical problem. And so let's plan for that now. Number four, my favorite topic is tax mitigation and reduction and elimination planning. I like to get people out of the tax world in retirement. Taxes are a killer. Nobody's been able to tell me for many several years how they're going, we're going to reduce taxes. How's our, how's our cover, how are our taxes going to go down over the next, in our lifetimes? And I can't see it. So if you believe taxes are going to go up, you probably ought to do some tax planning and get into a tax-free world primarily in retirement. So if they raise taxes, it's not going to affect you. I would suggest that's probably the smartest thing you could do. And then number five, you need a financial estate plan. Everybody needs a financial estate plan. It's not just about the end of your life. It's about what happens if you become disabled. What's going to happen? I mean, most people don't, don't address this, and that's what we help people do. So those are the five areas that, that we do all of our planning on, and I would say that is the best checklist anybody will ever get going into retirement. So once again, uh, number one, protecting your assets. Number two, an income plan. Number three, health care plan, which would also include long-term care. Number four, tax mitigation and reduction. And number five would be an estate plan. That is our red zone checklist. Gentlemen, do the same principles or do the same concerns apply to the five years after retirement as the five years before retirement? They do. Exactly. Because you have the same problem. I mean, you're you're going to be pulling money out of your accounts, right? So before you retire, you need to, you need to get in a position so you're not having big losses, but you're not pulling money out yet. After you retire, it's even more important because you are starting to pull money out of those right. accounts. So it, it applies both pre and post. And this is, this is the other thing, Jeff, I try to get through to everybody because this is the most important thing we do. And we call it this. When you retire, the first five to eight years are what we call your go-go years. That's when you should be doing your big bucket list things, you know, trips to wherever you're going, the big stuff. You should plan for that. You should have money planned for that. You should front end load your income. That's in that red zone time, five years after you retire, right? And then you get into, you start slowing down. We call it your slow go years. You're going to do maybe, maybe not bigger stuff, but medium sized stuff. You still are going to need more money to do that stuff. And eventually you're going to be in your no go years, which is the only place you're going is to the doctor. But you better have your health care plan taken care of for your no go years. Now, don't wait because waiting is not going to work. You, you need to do it now. So to me, that's, that's the biggest message I can give people because that is... That'll help people live the, the life we have left when we retire because we, we will not live forever. And so live your life to the utmost when you do retire. 
Well, John, based on our conversation, I'm willing to bet that our listeners have some questions about their retirement red zone, the five years before retirement or the five years after, and they want to get that red zone checklist. Well, you can do it very simply by calling this number today. That's right. You can call it today. Leave your information and uh, Laura will give you a call back on Monday, set you up with an appointment with John or John there at APO Financial and get you on the right path for 2024. It is a no cost, no obligation, no judgment retirement review. Why would you not do this? I don't understand. There is no cost, as I said to this. There's no obligation. It's a chance for you to sit down and get some answers to the questions that you have about your financial stability and the path towards retirement. Once again, that number to call is 906-523-9030. That is 506-923-9030. And get your questions answered about your retirement that could last 30 plus years. That number again, 906-523-9030, 906-523-9030. Well, we're out of time for this week. John Crows and John Good, you want to thank you for your time. But most of all, I want to thank our fine listeners for joining us here in the Upper Peninsula. For John and John, I'm Jeff Shade. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of the Retirement Playbook right here on AM 920 and FM 107.3 WMPL. Talk that bridges the gap. The opinions voiced on the Retirement Playbook from APO Financial are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy assures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing.